I'm Linda Kieschnick with Lazy L in Letmetter, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Kerry Martin. Hello, Texas. It is great to have you along for another edition of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, a new listing for the lesser prairie chicken could cause some headaches for Texas panhandle livestock producers. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Everyone understands it's important to know your ABCs. In the cattle business, it can also be very helpful to know about EPDs. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. The U.S. Meat Export Federation celebrates 45 years of red meat exports into Japan. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have comments from USMEF's Japanese director on Texas Ag Today. Often there are non-traditional products that claim to improve forage production at a lower cost than traditional fertilizers. We will discuss a few things we should keep in mind when evaluating these products. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Once again, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has listed the lesser prairie chicken across parts of five states, including the Texas Panhandle. After the bird was listed as threatened a few years back, this new listing here in 2022 is in two parts. The southern population area for the bird in New Mexico and the southern half of the Texas Panhandle is being called endangered, while the northern part of the Texas Panhandle is being called threatened. Secret Johannes is Associate Director for Public Affairs and Federal Lands for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and the Public Lands Council. She says the action is a final rule. So this is going to kick into effect on Tuesday, January 24th of the coming year in 2023. It's a problematic one, but it is one, unfortunately, that we saw coming down the pike because of this rulemaking process. Now we've got to regroup and figure out how we're going to uh, fight back against some of the harmful provisions in this before it takes effect in January. I can tell you that over the next few days and weeks, NCBA's first move is going to be circling up with our affiliates in each of these states and coming up with a game plan as a group for how we want to approach this. To make matters worse, the service is also establishing a 4D rule for the northern region. 
you have to follow, according to Fish and Wildlife, a grazing management plan that has been developed by an agency-approved third party, which is a great classic example of Washington word salad. But what we did ask, who is going to be an agency-approved third party? Who are you giving the reins here to sort of sign off and say that either this grazing management plan is good or this one is bad? And they don't have an answer for that yet. They haven't come up with a list of folks who they have in mind. Uh, They did say that they are not considering NRCS as a valid third party at this time. Allowing third-party verification is concerning to cattle producers as it may allow non-friendly organizations to control agricultural practices. West Texas cotton farmers are still wrapping up harvest on what little cotton made it through this very dry season. But this season did teach some hard lessons on how to prepare for next year, according to Oklahoma State cotton specialist Seth Bird. You know, we had a lot of questions going into this past year about fertility because of the price and supply. Come to find out that if it doesn't rain, it really doesn't matter in a large amount of cases what you do fertility-wise because water is our most limiting factor. I do think the past couple of years we've had some good experience with different growing conditions and yield potential environments. So take maybe what we've been successful with the past couple of years and use that to sort of mitigate the risk going into a year where we don't really know, again, like every other year, we don't really know what we're going to get. Oklahoma State's Seth Bird. It is important to know your ABCs, but James Hunt tells us in the cattle business, it's even more important to know your EPDs. When the time ultimately comes for ranchers in our area to rebuild their herds, many of them will want to see EPDs. EPD is an acronym that stands for Expected Progeny Differences. Long story short, an EPD is a way of documenting how well the offspring of individual bulls tend to perform. When ranchers want to expand their herd through breeding, they can ask a seed stock dealer to provide them with EPD information. I asked seed stock producer Steve Olson of Hereford what he would say to someone to explain the value of EPDs. Well, I first ask them if they buy corn seed at the elevator or they go to a reputable seed company and get seed that is tested and has proven production as to which variety they plant. And I think most of them say that ooh, they don't go to the elevator to buy seed for their crop. And seed stock production the same way. We don't need to go to the auction barn to buy the first bull that comes through the ring for our bull battery of our herd. And we need to look at cattle with production evidence and EPDs are the best tool that we have that they can use and compare from my herd to somebody else's Angus herd down the road. And that gives them some assurance of what they're getting. It's a selection tool that gives them a whole lot more confidence that they've got a good animal that's going to increase their profitability by bigger weaning weights, bigger yearling weights, better carcass value, however they are marketing their animals. Once again, that was seed stock producer Steve Olson of Hereford. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Japan has been buying U.S. meat for 45 years. Tom Nicoletti has more from the recent U.S. Meat Export Federation meeting in Oklahoma City. 
My guest today is Takamichi Yamashoji. He is the director for the U.S. MEF, that's the U.S. Meat Export Federation in Japan. And Takamichi, uh, here at the uh, U.S. MEF uh, Fall Conference in Oklahoma City, you're celebrating uh, the 45th uh, year in which uh, red meat exports from the United States have gone into Japan. Why is that so important? Tell us about that relationship between the U.S. and Japan. So first of all, you know, I would like to say thank you very much for cooperation and support from, uh, you know, Texas beef. Uh, we got uh, many uh, funds from, uh, from uh, Texas beef. And the relationship with, uh, you know, U.S. and Japan, Japanese, uh, you know, domestic you know, production is not so, you know, high, high uh, you know, production level. So we need to, you know, import, you know, beef from, you know, outside of, you know, Japan. But the U.S. is, uh, you know, most you know, reliable supplier to, to Japan. And also high quality, very high quality uh, beef compared to other, you know, export country. Out of 45 years, that's, uh, you know, a long, long time. First is, you know, just inter- introduction. So introduce, you know, uh, U.S. beef. But then we developed many, many uh, menus that uh, sometimes a Japanese menu to introduce a uh, U.S. beef into that, you know, Japanese menu. Japanese consumer, they love U.S. beef. The reason, again, you know, high, high value. And also, you know, safety, safety, uh, you know, beef to Japan. That is Takamichi Yamasoji. He is uh, director of uh, the Japanese office for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There are many non-traditional products available that claim to increase forage production cheaper than fertilizer. Dr. Vanessa Olson looks at a few things to keep in mind when considering one of those products. Soil additives are different from traditional fertilizers and soil amendments in that they usually have little or no nutrient content. There is no requirement for these non-traditional products to have a guaranteed analysis label. Many of these products state on the label that they are not a substitute for a fertilizer program, but enhance the effectiveness of fertilizer normally applied. They are claimed to improve soil physical, chemical, and biological properties to improve nutrient and or water availability in the soil and increase crop nutrient uptake. Most traditional soil amendments and commercial fertilizers have been tested extensively through research trials to document both their benefits and limitations. The benefits for many of these non-traditional products have not been proven scientifically by independent research. Many marketers of these products will rely on testimonials with limited or no actual data toward performance. Another common theme is low cost and low application rates. Therefore, be very cautious before deciding to use these products. The best advice that can be given to growers is to evaluate new products carefully and insist upon local or regional research data. Anytime we are making decisions about products or nutrients to add for forage production, we should always start with a soil test. Soil tests can be used to estimate the kinds and amounts of soil nutrients already available to plants. They also can be used as aids in determining fertilizer needs. Properly conducted soil sampling and testing can be cost-effective indicators of the types and amounts of fertilizer needed to improve forage yield. Levels of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium applied should be based on soil test recommendations as well as match farm goals. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension in Overton for Texas Ag Today. 
A vote on whether or not to allow electric bikes on paths and trails in Texas state parks has been delayed. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And you may hear someone use the term serviceable sound when referring to a horse. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, call 833-TX-HEALTH or visit 833-TXHEALTH.com. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. You may hear someone say a horse is serviceable sound, but Dr. Bob Judd says that term can mean different things to different people. Trainer Marianne Davis indicates in the horse publication that a horse is serviceably sound when the horse is sound and comfortable performing at the intended use of the owner and riders. Dr. Chris White gives the example of a horse with an occasional head bob, one that starts stiff but works out of it, and one that needs regular maintenance to perform. Whether these horses are sound or not depends on who you ask. If you're looking for the perfect horse, you likely will be looking a long time, as horses just like humans are not perfect. Sometimes a horse that is not perfectly sound can be used as long as the horse is comfortable and not hurting. Some horses can perform one day a week and not have a problem, but more exercise causes an issue. Finding horses to give lessons is very difficult, as many of the riders are not experienced, so the horses need to be easy to handle, and most of these horses are older, and most older horses are going to have some arthritis and not be 100% sound. However, they can be serviceably sound. We examine horses at a therapeutic riding center, and most of the horses are used for lessons with people which have no riding experience, so these folks need really calm horses. Most of the lessons given are just slowly walking for the horse, and a horse may be serviceably sound for this type of lesson, but would not be sound trotting or cantering. Some performance horses require joint injections or other therapies to perform and to keep the horse serviceably sound. Classifying a horse as serviceably sound is much better than saying the horse is sound, which indicates the horse is 100% normal. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A vote on allowing electric bikes on paths and trails in Texas state parks has been delayed. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission has tabled a proposal that would allow visitors to Texas state parks to use electric bicycles or e-bikes on trails and paths unless otherwise prohibited. Erin Fryer, special assistant to the state park director, told the commission that e-bike use has become more popular in Texas and in park systems across the U.S. 
We've surveyed other park systems and we received 18 comments from other state park systems. And of the 18, 14 of those have started to allow electric bicycle use. And of the four that have not, three of those are planning to enact a policy to allow electric bicycles on their trails as well. So there's really a, an increased need and demand for electric bicycles on trail systems and park systems. And that's really because there's a lot of benefit to those. It helps folks that may be older or maybe have some physical limitations. It gives them opportunities to get on on the trails, gives them some extra assistance in order to be able to climb hills or take longer rides or even to ride with their families and friends. And so there's been a real increased need and a demand for parks. But currently under Texas Administrative Code in state parks, electric bicycles are considered a motorized vehicle. And so right now they're not allowed on trail systems. They're really only allowed on our roadways, our parking areas, paved services. There are three different classifications of e-bikes, with some having the ability to reach up to 28 miles per hour. Commissioners expressed concern with whether each state park would set which classes of e-bikes are allowed on which trails, and if e-bike users would know what classification of bike they have and if they're allowed on trails before heading out. One commissioner said he felt the use of e-bikes could impact other state park visitors' enjoyment of the trail systems. The proposal has been tabled for now while additional research is done. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Another higher close on Wednesday for the cattle market, and we saw a limit-up move in the cotton market. We'll have a look at all of Wednesday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Wednesday was a good day for the cattle, cotton, and wheat trade. We finished higher in the cattle complex with December live cattle up 40 cents, 153.07. February up 87, 155.67, while April live cattle were up 70 cents, 159.27. Feeder cattle made even bigger gains. January feeders up 247 at 180.47. March feeder cattle up 227, 183.45 while April feeders were up $1.95 at $186.80. We saw some cash-fed cattle trade on Wednesday, a few cattle selling at $155 here in the South. That's steady with last week's trade. However, a lot of feedlots holding out for another dollar, pricing cattle at $156. Boxed beef was lower Wednesday, choice down $251, $252.23, select down $0.43 cents at $225.39. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Ken Jordan from Ken Jordan's Jordan Cattle Auction, Mason and San Saba's on the line. Ken, you had your Mason sale. How did it turn out? You bet, Larry. With all the good rains like we talked about having, the three to four, five inches in lots of this area, we ended up with 807 head of cattle. I thought overall the market opened up this week after being off last week. The holidays, strong demand on all classic calves and yearlings. 
I thought overall the stocker steers probably sold 10 to 15 higher. Had a group of two steers weighed 490 at 214, a little over right at $1,049 on those 490 pounders. I thought the stocker heifers also sold five to 15 higher. Um, the feeder steers, they sold probably five to eight dollars higher. Had a group of four steers weighed 761 at a buck 54, right at $1,172. Another deal of three head of steers at 655 at a buck 70, $1,113 and some change on those. I thought the feeder heifers, they sold three to five dollars higher. Packer cows probably sold two to three higher, while bulls were overall sold steady. Just didn't have a lot of real high-yielding bulls today, but I thought overall steady on that market. Pairs of red cows sold steady on limited test days. Overall, a good sell, Larry. Got a sale Thursday and Saturday of this week, don't we? You've had to look for a pretty good run with the way the market is on Thursdays. We didn't have to sell last week, and then we'll follow up in on uh, Saturday at 10 o'clock, about 3,300 head uh, that we'll be offering uh, good females on uh, starting at 10 o'clock. Uh, we've got about, I think, close to 550-something pairs, about 1,200 bred cows, 800 bred heifers, and about, I think, 600 some open average, Larry. A lot of cattle be offered there. We've got the list all up on our website already, or they can call us. We'll fax them some information, whatever it be. Uh, but um, love to see everybody up here at 10 o'clock on Saturday. If you can't make it, it is live on the internet too, Larry. You can go to our website at jordancattle.com and find all the info right there or give us a call. All right, the number to call. You better, Jerry, go 325-372-5159, Larry. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. Neighbor, that's our livestock auction market report for today. We'll see you next time right here as we walk the pens. I'm Larry Marble for Texas Ag Today. Thank you, Larry. Now back over to the futures trade where lean hogs finished sharply higher on Wednesday. December hogs up $1.82, $82.90. February hogs up $1.20 at 85.35. Class 3 milk was mixed. The December contract up 3 cents, 1988 100 weight. January milk down 21 at 1940 100. The cotton market finishing limit up on the nearby contracts as traders squared away their positions on the last trading day of November. The nearby March was up 400 points, 84.61. May limit up also 400 points, 84.03. December 23, cotton up 339 points, 79.94. The corn continues to trade in a narrow range. We finish slightly lower as poor demand continues to keep a lid on prices. December corn down three and three quarters, 662 a bushel. New crop September corn down four at 618 and a quarter. Wheat market finishing strongly higher. Not a lot of news to push the wheat market higher other than the fact that the U.S. and world wheat supplies are the tightest we've seen in 15 years. Besides that, Russia and Ukraine continue to undercut the U.S. on the world wheat market, so that continues to be a negative factor. December Kansas City wheat up 12 and a quarter, 913 and a quarter. December Chicago wheat up 13 and three quarters, 771 and a half. In the energy markets, January natural gas down 23 cents at $7 even. January crude oil up 248, 8068 a barrel. The financial markets higher on Wednesday afternoon, the Dow up 577 points, 34,429, the Nasdaq up 408 at 11,392, the S&P up 102 points, 4060. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name is Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. 
For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.